this week's ACCP Emergency Medicine PRN Journal Club presentation. I'm your host, Christian Kroll, an emergency medicine and ICU pharmacist at the University of Iowa Hospital and Clinics. To view this recorded presentation, head to our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash at ACCP EMED PRN. And for PRN members, slides can be found under the business document section on the ACCP Emergency Medicine PRN website. Uh, hello, everybody. My name is Nick. I'm a PGY2 emergency medicine pharmacy resident over at Brigham and Women's Hospital up in Boston, Massachusetts. And I'm excited to share my journal club with you guys today. We're going to look at the impact of pharmacists during medical emergency response events. Our objective is to analyze a systematic review of the impact of pharmacists on resuscitation and emergency response events. I'd invite you to consider a scenario. Imagine that you're the emergency department pharmacist. You're part of a rapid response team, and you walk in the room and see that a patient is bradycardic with a heart rate in the 20s. Uh, you have a young provider in the heat of the moment who's reaching into the code cart for adenosine. And as the emergency medicine pharmacist, you intervene and say, hey, are you reaching for adenosine? Did you mean to reach for atropine? And you prevent the administration of an incorrect and potentially dangerous medication during an emergency response. Hopefully, you're not making this intervention regularly at your institution, but it certainly feels like you had impact on the team. And this is a situation that happens frequently with emergency medicine pharmacists in rapid response resuscitation scenarios. Many of us have anecdotes about this, but something that we need to think about more globally as a profession is, can we measure the impact of emergency medicine pharmacists in these critical scenarios? Uh, can we take our anecdotes and make it into real world evidence about the pharmacist factor in these critical scenarios? So when we're thinking globally about evaluating the, the scope and value of an emergency medicine pharmacist, there's a variety of activities that we're involved in, from antimicrobial stewardship to leadership to medication order review. But a particular area of our practice that I think many of us are really excited about is resuscitation and emergency response. And these are the outcomes that we're going to be primarily looking at today through the lens of the systematic review, which was recently published. So when we think about resuscitation and emergency response on a global scale, this is an emerging area for emergency medicine pharmacists. In the United States, we're considered the world leaders in this practice. The 2016 survey found that 98% of us, United States emergency medicine pharmacists, take part in resuscitation and emergency response events. And why do we take part in these types of events? And it's because they're high risk. We like being in areas where there's high-risk medications, verbal orders, and increased risk for medication errors, which is where we might be able to make a large impact for our patients and for our teams. When we look at historical research in this arena, I pulled a study by Bond and colleagues, which was published in 2007, which I thought was kind of a beginning of our analysis of this type of impact that we can make. So Bond and colleagues took a look at two national databases, one looking at pharmacy services, and another looking at Medicare mortality rates in, across 885 hospitals in the United States. And they had this interesting result. They found that when pharmacists participated in cardiopulmonary resuscitation teams, that they had a significant decrease in patient mortality. This is certainly a signal looking at the impact of pharmacists on clinical outcomes related to patient-centered outcomes. But further research and elucidation of our exact benefit in these sort of outcomes is still to be determined. And more studies need to be done in order to have a more broad understanding of the precise outcomes that we improve when we participate in these teams. This kind of sets the stage for the current systematic review that we're going to spend the next couple minutes taking a look at. 
So this systematic review was done to determine the impact of pharmacists on the management of critically ill patients requiring resuscitation or emergency medical response, which we'll discuss in a little bit more detail in the coming up slides. The authors were primarily pharmacists based out of the Princess Alexandra Hospital in Australia. Part of the inspiration for this study is that Australian pharmacists don't have as big of a role in resuscitation, and they were trying to look at different outcomes to help promote pharmacy practice in their regional area. So when we look at the design of the study, it was a systematic review, which was done according to the PRISMA guidelines and looked at studies from 1995 to 2023. The time frame for this was very intentional because authors were looking to capture contemporary clinical pharmacy practice with standard healthcare systems, medications, and protocols. They looked at a variety of reputable databases, which are listed in the third bullet. When we take a look at the composition of the study, they looked at a patient population, which is very applicable to the patients that we practice with every single day. Looking at critically ill patients who need resuscitation, an emergency response team is called upon to take care of them. And the intervention is us looking at the pharmacist's impact when we are present in the resuscitation team. The comparison is a little bit different between the different studies. Some studies were looking at when pharmacists were present during working hours versus off working hours. And some studies were looking at when a pre and post implementation of a new pharmacist service in the emergency department, for example. The outcomes were varied throughout these studies. They looked at patient-centered outcomes like mortality, hospital and ICU length of stay, process-related outcomes, including the appropriate use of antibiotics and guideline adherence, for example, ACLS or antimicrobial guidelines for open fractures, and also medication-related outcomes, including the time to administration of medications that we know work better when they're administered quickly, including thrombolytics, analgesics, uh, and antibiotics. In addition to uh, several studies looked at cost savings. So when we look at the composition of this systematic review, they looked at a large number of studies across several different databases. They excluded 1,444 based on the title and a quick abstract review. Once they narrowed it down to 56 articles, they primarily excluded articles that had no control or a design that wasn't compatible with their protocols, and eventually landed on 30 studies evaluating the impact of pharmacist presence on either medication or patient-related outcomes in the emergency management of critically ill patients. So these 30 studies are what we're going to take a little bit of a zoom in on and evaluate the outcomes. When looking at the studies that they included, we should note that a majority of them are done in the emergency department exclusively. Only three studies were exclusively done in inpatient units. The majority of studies were non-randomized, with only one randomized study included, which we'll discuss a little bit more when we go into the limitations of the study. And the majority of these studies were conducted in the United States. Something that the authors did, which I think was a, a strength of this study, is they did a robust risk of bias assessment, including the Newcastle-Ottawa Quality Assessment Scale for our 29 non-randomized study, looking at the criteria listed in the three bullets below as well as they used the revised Cochrane Risk of Bias tool, looking at the randomized study using criteria in the three bullets below. The big takeaway from the risk of bias assessment is that of the 30 studies included, only eight of these studies were assessed to have a low risk of bias. Well, thank you. Something that the authors did in order to make these 30 studies a little bit more palatable is they broke down the outcomes in related cohorts. So as you can see, our largest cohorts were the acute stroke group, as well as the major trauma resuscitation group, which included eight studies. The other smaller cohorts will be discussed as well. This is a visual representation of the studies by cohort, 
with the studies listed on the left side, as well as the types of outcomes that were evaluated in the vertical columns. To orient you, the green check marks were outcomes that were evaluated and found that pharmacist involvement resulted in a statistically significant benefit in that outcome area. Red X's were outcomes that were evaluated, but pharmacist involvement did not find a statistically significant benefit. And the dashes were outcomes which were not assessed. When we look at the eight studies in the acute stroke cohort, I'd like to draw your attention to the time to administration section, as this cohort found consistent reductions in the time to administration of Alteplase. Most of these studies were done before Tenecteplase had been widely adopted to clinical practice for acute ischemic stroke. But what we can take away from this cohort is that for Alteplase, there was a consistent benefit in the time to administration of this medication where we know time is brain, and this is an important point of emphasis for stroke care when a pharmacist was involved. When we look at our patient-centered outcomes, we didn't find as consistent results. Patient-centered outcomes were less frequently to be observed, and the studies that did look at them were less likely to find a statistically significant benefit from pharmacist practice. When we go into limitations, we'll talk a little bit more about why this is and why this might be a trend that we'll see throughout the different cohorts. When we look at cardiac arrest, I'd like to draw your attention to the guideline compliance. Consistent across cardiac arrest and STEMI, pharmacist involvement resulted in better guideline compliance for these types of patients. The outcomes that were looked at in these four studies included adherence to the medication components of the ACLS guideline, for example, as well as overall compliance to our guidelines for ACLS, including the non-medication interventions like defibrillation. Kind of the signal that we can take away from this is that when pharmacists are present in cardiac arrest response teams, we're not only benefiting the utilization of the medications, which we know have uh, certain benefits for patients, but when we're around in this team, we're also using our other tools like defibrillation better, which have uh, more robust evidence for assisting patients in cardiac arrest. So this was very positive to see that these outcomes were consistently found across these studies. Looking at major trauma resuscitation, drawing your attention all the way to the left to time to administration, there were several different types of outcomes that were evaluated in our major trauma resuscitation cohort. Several studies looked at the time to post-intubation sedation. Some studies looked at the time to prophylactic antibiotics, time to sedation and analgesia after neuromuscular blockade, and analgesia post-RSI. So the types of outcomes were heterogeneous in this category, but did find that when pharmacists were involved in trauma resuscitation, that we brought a benefit when it came to antibiotics or sedation and analgesia. When we look at study eight in this list, we find that there was not a statistically significant difference found in that outcome. And that outcome was actually the time to initiation of post-intubation sedation. And although it was not statistically significant, when a pharmacist was not present, it took 98 minutes in this study for a patient to receive post-intubation sedation. When a pharmacist was present, it took only 45 minutes. So although this might not have reached statistical significance, it may have clinical significance, which could be true for several different of the red X's that you see throughout these different tables. When we think about medication errors, uh, the medication error outcomes are mainly related to, are we administering the appropriate antibiotics for open fracture prophylaxis? As well as one study included just general medication errors, which could occur during a trauma resuscitation. The guidelines that were evaluated in major trauma resuscitation 
were related to antimicrobial prophylaxis for open fractures. This section definitely had a consistent pharmacist benefit across several different areas. When we look at acute hemorrhage and rapid response teams, we similarly find that when pharmacists are present, medications get to the patients faster. In our time to administration for acute hemorrhage, we were looking at the time to entry of PCC into the computer, as well as the time that it took from when the PCC order was placed to when the PCC was actually administered to the patient. Finally, looking at sepsis and status epilepticus, we found consistent benefit in the time to administration of time-sensitive first-dose antibiotics in sepsis. Looking at study number three in the sepsis category, they found that there was a trend towards lower hospital mortality in patients who had a pharmacist present in their initial sepsis care, although this did not find statistical significance. Status epilepticus is noted because even though they did not find a decrease in the time to administration of AEDs. Pharmacist involvement resulted in a statistically higher number of patients receiving the appropriate dose of AEDs, also representing that even some of these red X's where we didn't find a significant difference, there might have been a clinical benefit from pharmacist presence. So when we think globally about these 30 studies and what they mean for pharmacist benefit, we saw a consistent benefit in the time to thrombolytics, we found pharmacists had a consistent benefit in the time to administration of four-factor PCC. And there were several studies that had positive hospital and ICU admission uh, related outcomes in our severe hemorrhage group. In sepsis, patients who had a pharmacist involved in their care got their antibiotics faster. And in trauma, especially looking at our open fracture trauma patients, they were more likely to get the correct antibiotic and faster. Of the 30 studies, the most consistent benefit was definitely in that time to medication administration column. When pharmacists are present, we help facilitate medications getting from the omnicell to the patient. Although it was consistent throughout several studies that differences in patient-centered outcomes like mortality, hospital length of stay, and ICU length of stay did not routinely find significant benefit. This brings us into the limitations. So when we're looking at a study like this, a systematic review. We're going to include studies with very heterogeneous outcomes, which is a limitation in that it disallows us from being able to conduct a meta-analysis and really kind of drill down into the statistics of these studies. But it's a benefit because it gives us a more global look at what pharmacists can make an impact on. Any study that is looking at pharmacist benefit has the potential for overreporting as many of these studies were conducted at centers in order to help justify the addition or expansion of pharmacist services. Overall, the methodological quality of these studies is low as they were conducted in retrospective fashion. And there's always a risk for publication bias that unsuccessful pharmacist interventions, which may have been measured in an MUE or a resident project, may not have been published due to not having a successful outcome. Which brings us to kind of a, a question to consider, which is something that we think about a lot when we read systematic reviews is what can we take from the study? How does this add to our knowledge? And something that we talked about when we were looking at the study uh, with kind of our emergency medicine group is that a systematic review is going to show you a landscape of, of the literature and what's out there. and also can display different holes in the literature of where maybe a study for acute stroke was measured, but studies looking at pharmacist benefit with Tenecteplase haven't been conducted yet. This can serve as inspiration for future studies and also give us just a good idea of what is in the field already. When we think about kind of my main critique of the study, I thought that the benefits were that it had the systematic review had a strong methodology, right? We followed the PRISMA guidelines. The studies were taken from reputable sources. It was conducted in U.S. hospitals, which uh, helps with the external validity. 
And grouping patients into cohorts made the different outcomes very digestible. The authors had appropriately cautious conclusions as uh, making strong conclusions about things like mortality, ICU length of stay, and hospital length of stay is difficult as these studies are small, heterogeneous, and likely not powered to adequately detect those endpoints, which leads us into kind of the weaknesses of these studies. These studies had moderate high risk of bias. Uh, there was risk of publication bias, as many of these studies were done to justify pharmacist interventions. But maybe most importantly is the interpharmacist variability. Some of these studies compared working hours versus a pre-post implementation. And when you look at study comparing maybe the daytime hours when a pharmacist is present versus the overnight hours when a pharmacist may not be present, uh, that introduces additional variables. Type and number of interventions that pharmacists made is not well described in these studies. As we know, there, there could be a big difference between a, a pharmacist interacting with a cardiac arrest patient, you know, standing outside the room versus being right at bedside in the code cart, helping administer medications, program pumps. So there could have been some variability between the types of interventions that pharmacists were making in these studies, as well as the training and experience of the pharmacists and the pharmacy department staffing models, which may have had very different support for pharmacists with regard to the number of hours a pharmacist is around where the pharmacist sits, how close they are to the action, and how much backup the pharmacist had if they maybe got pulled away from an emergency response because they had to go uh, take care of other operational responsibilities. These are all things that could have introduced a good deal of variability that exists between different departments and different staffing models. So when we think about the big picture takeaways from the systematic review, we found a positive result that pharmacist intervention improved outcomes like time to time critical medications, medication appropriateness, and guideline compliance. But we should recognize that these studies were not powered to adequately detect our patient-centered outcomes and did not find consistent benefits in these outcomes. Moving forward, I think that future research should investigate these outcomes in a more controlled setting. Thinking about future directions for us as emergency medicine pharmacists, as we continue to think about what our role is in emergency response and resuscitation, something that I really think about is, am I participating and also documenting the interventions that I'm making? so that I can measure within my own institution. Am I pursuing the right training? Do I have PALS, ACLS? Am I considering getting ATLS or ENLS? That might help give me better understanding of the way these teams operate so I can speak the language of the response team. Are we building staffing models within our department that support the pharmacist's responsibility to go and take care of a cardiac arrest patient who may tie you up for an hour or 90 minutes if, if you get really involved? and be able to do that while safely leaving your other responsibilities, uh, such as order verification or other operational responsibilities, as well as simulation training. And on a kind of a global level, as we're thinking about, or a national level rather, uh, as we're thinking about our engagement with these teams as uh, how are we interacting across different institutions across the country and things like ACCP and the newly developing group and SAEM, I think are gonna be really great opportunities for us to network and. Uh, understand how we interact in these teams across the country, as well as advocating for legislature that helps advance our practice in this role. And I'll end just with a little bit of uh, thankfulness for the institution that I'm at right now. I feel extremely lucky to be at Brigham Women's Hospital, where we are very kind of conscious and promoting uh, the pharmacist role in emergency response. Uh, we have pharmacist emergency medicine pharmacist book club on the left side of the screen, where we we read the emergency mind. Uh, which is a great book that was written by an emergency medicine provider from our institution uh, talking about 
how you perform well in these situations. So we pass that book to the PGY1s and the PGY2s who come on rotation. We do consistent simulation training at our Stratus Training Center, which I'm extremely thankful for, with some photos of us at a most recent training for ACLS. And we do fun events for residents. Like we recently had a code cart pizza party. So PGY1s and 2s came in and hang out. We had a pizza party and, and candy around Halloween. And we had a code cart and medications out. So pharmacy residents could practice some of those hands-on skills in a lower acuity environment before the pressure was on in the resuscitation bay. Uh, I'd like to thank you guys for the opportunity and, and open the floor to, to any questions about this interesting and exciting topic. If you have enjoyed this presentation content and would like to hear more, subscribe via your favorite podcasting app. Additionally, make sure to check out our YouTube page for all recorded presentations. Thank you for listening to this week's ACCP Emergency Medicine Journal Club presentation. Join us weekly for review and discussion of new journal articles in emergency medicine. This podcast provides general information only and does not offer individualized medical or professional health care services, including pharmaceutical advice. The contents and materials in the podcast are not intended to be a substitute for inpatient pharmaceutical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. And the use of the contents and materials in the podcast does not constitute a pharmacist-patient relationship. As a result, the information in and materials linked to this podcast are applied at the user or patient's own risk. Users or patients should consult their physician or personal healthcare professional. The user or patient should not ignore or delay seeking care because of something they heard on this podcast. In case of an emergency, the user or patient should contact their physician, call 911, or go to the nearest medical emergency facility. The views and statements expressed on this podcast are those of the host and guest, and should not be interpreted to reflect the official position or policy of ACCP or the Emergency Medicine PRN.